94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We have the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Great to hear your voices. Hey, um, saw uh, like the, the momentum with the lower trends mm-hmm. with cases and, you know, and, and immunizations coming in. Do you foresee that Honolulu could be moving into tier four soon? We see a, a star advertiser analysis uh, saying that could happen as soon as March 25th. It does look promising as of right now, I have to say. Mm. I wouldn't have believed it uh, two months ago that we could move that consistently forward without some some you know hitches but it's it's getting more and more likely the positivity rate yesterday was down to 1.02 percent the active case count is really dropping and it's at 635 yesterday that's out of you know 1.4 million that's a that's a rate of only one out of every 2300 people so what that means is is the viral load is lower and lower and lower and so it's harder for the virus to hang on and that trend will then lead us to tier four pretty quickly so can't come soon enough. I mean, we really want to be able to return to normal, kind of normal. Youth sports should start. I'm, I'm a big fan of them being able to get outside and do youth sports. I think that's necessary. So all this stuff bodes well. Mm-hmm. But you've seen how fast it can change. So if everyone wants that, which I do, wear masks, get your vaccine, socially distance, wash your hands like 50 times a day, and we'll be there. In that light, what do you think of now Texas? You know, they removed all restrictions. They just went completely like, okay, cool. We're done with all these restrictions. Do you agree with that? Do you foresee that happening in Hawaii at any point? Uh, no. And yeah. I would say it's absolutely stupid that they would do that. <laughs> because, and not only is it stupid for them, and it's, it's unfortunate because they're going to be innocent victims. I mean, 40% of that state is thinking clearly about this virus. And they're, you know, they're going to be in the crossfire. There will be collateral damage from young people and teachers and all sorts of groups. Of course, you can still choose to wear a mask, which is good. And I hope that a lot of people will. Mm-hmm. But it could cause a ripple effect. We're not out of this completely. And though things are trending well, we know that the variants can surge. If the variants catch on, they're going to really be sorry. And that's the circumstance that they face. If they were to get unlucky and get a cluster of, say, the U.K. variant surging through you know, Houston or, or Austin or something, mm. then that will be entrenched as the main variant and it will roll back over and they'll find themselves over the whole state. They'll find themselves back where they were in the fall when they were overflowing their hospitals. I mean, it's really a bad move. It's the kind of thing that you, you should kick your governor out of office for if they've done that. That is terrible on their part. Okay. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us as always. Lieutenant Governor, you know, I noticed that the numbers are going down and it's really great, but I go out walking or I'm out and about and there's a lot of people getting together. <laughs> I'm seeing more people in garages. I'm seeing more people at uh, gathering places and it just is making me a little bit nervous. Are you getting a little nervous at all? No, I'm not nervous. I just <laughs> okay. think that it's it's human nature, but there are gatherings and people you know who are being thoughtful about it will choose not to gather. A lot of the younger people that are gathering are not vaccinated. And unfortunately, that's going to be, you know, kind of a that's going to be a persistent problem. But the good news is, is our most vulnerable individuals are getting vaccinated pretty, mm-hmm. pretty aggressively. So, you know, right now we're all testing the bounds of what we can tolerate as far as isolation, not gathering. Now we can go to 10 people, which makes it a lot easier. I really think that it's not prudent to gather more than 10 people as of now until we 
you know, give it another like four weeks and then all of our vulnerable individuals in the state will be the most vulnerable, will be vaccinated if they wanted a vaccine. Then we're in a good spot because even if there are clusters, they won't jeopardize our health. And that's a pretty good blessing. So, yeah, the, the clusters sometimes make me nervous in the way that they could spread, not nervous that we're going to actually have a major setback mm. um, because we've now moved We've moved past a few barriers, I think, to setbacks. The viral load, like I said, is low. Maui did still see a surge. I mean, you, within 60 days, you can get a surge mm-hmm. uh, that's terrible. In fact, within 30 days, you can be overwhelmed. But it'll be hard for the virus to overcome this mixed uh, delivery of vaccines that we've got. It, it's really not very likely. So um, just we're going into a weekend. If people could still keep it pretty chill and not have big parties, They'd be doing us all a favor. Okay. Thank all you. right. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you about uh, talking about vaccines now. So, uh, you know, we've reported that uh, kicking off on Monday, uh, ages 70 to 74, I think, can start getting their vaccines as well and, and can actually start registering already, um, which is, I think, about a, a week earlier than expected. And, and so I'm curious how that has been possible um, and also what you thought of the argument that I think Mufi Hanneman and some people in the visitor industry are making that uh, visitor industry workers should be moved into phase 1B as well. Yeah. Um, Okay. So first, moving up a week earlier was great. I appreciated Director Char doing that. Libby um, made a a good gutsy call. Mostly it was possible because we got, you know, because we got the Johnson Johnson Mm -hmm. and we got the surge of Moderna and Pfizer. So never wait. And that's excellent. Also, it should only take two or maybe three weeks to get over to the 65 to 69-year-old category. Remember, there's only 146,000 people total from 65 to 74 in the state. So the 70 to 74-year-olds probably only amount for 50 or 60,000 people total. Mm-hmm. So that's all good. And we're going to aggressively do that. I'm excited about it. That's, that's, that's what we need from a health standpoint. Now, I, I would agree with Mufi on this one. I think that to the extent that we can use some of our extra Johnson Johnson shots on two different uh, classes of, of individual workers, educators and hospitality workers, it makes a lot of sense because the faster we vaccinate, the faster we're going to be able to open the state for travel. And that means that there are going to be a lot more individuals coming, very likely vaccinated individuals or pre-tested individuals, into our hotels. And in order to prevent spread back to home, back to where we're living with our kupuna, back to anywhere in the state, the hospitality workers are really in many ways our frontline uh, protection mm-hmm. against that. So because these guys are in the line of fire and I do think hospitality workers, uh, because they're going to be in there with a lot of extra travelers come May, June, July. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of travel here. They should be vaccinated. The good news is whether they're in 1B or in 1C, we're going to push right through uh, these categories fast. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the vaccine is robust enough now that we will, man, just a week just a week ago i was saying we're going to get to 900,000 shots by may 1st we may actually get to a million shots by may 1st at this rate wow. so hmm. that changes the trajectory for hawaii's recovery we're not only going to be getting these extra vaccines but we're going to be getting federal funds to make sure that anyone who is left you know in a in a prone economic position mm-hmm. is going to be rescued a little bit so yeah Boy, that's a long answer to say yes. I think we should do the uh, the, the hospitality workers. Sorry okay. about that. 
Thank, Thank no, you. No problem. Thank you very much, Thank you. Governor. Who will make the final decision on whether hotel workers will move into 1B? Would be Dr. Char or the governor? And also, I was curious when 1C actually would finally start. Uh, that's Dr. Char's call. Okay. And so she'll make the call. I will tell people that for businesses that went to the Department of Health's website and mm-hmm. put in their appeal to get into the 1B category, we ended up having 10,000 businesses apply for that. Whoa. Anything ranging from a handful business, a handful of people at a small business up to a large hotel. So just 10,000 applicants. I'm not talking about 10,000 people that want vaccines, 10,000 applicants. So it's a pretty laborious process, but she'll make that call. By the time we finish even the determinations, 1C will probably have already gotten started. It's just then that these individuals will be prioritized then. Uh, I'm hopeful that we have enough vaccine that this becomes a moot point and that we just are able to open the doors pretty wide. Mm. Then you probably should vaccinate quickly the individuals that have the following health conditions. And this, the Department of Health was very smart about. Those who are on oxygen, those who are on dialysis, and those who have cancer or immune compromise and or immune compromise. Those are the last of the super vulnerable people that have yet to be offered the vaccine. And once you're done with that, which should be this month, then uh, it's rock and roll time. I mean, then you should be able to roll through society in a much more streamlined way at a lot of community sites, at pharmacies, at community health centers, then we're good. Um, So you and I are going to keep talking, you know, weekly, but week over week, month over month, the numbers are going up. We're probably going to start doing at least a quarter of a million a month, maybe 300,000 a month. And so you can imagine how fast we'll get this thing done. Mm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay. We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Uh, one final follow-up on on the specific point about um, employers and vaccines. You said about 10,000 employers have uh, applied for um, you know the, the, the ability to send their workers to get shots. What percentage yeah. of, the, of those employers have actually got approval and I guess what I'm thinking about in my head is I'm trying to see, is the state, uh, you know, intent on avoiding a bottleneck the way that we had a bottleneck, oh, say, for example, like with tracing or something. I, I'm, I'm wondering, because I'm hearing from so many people that their employers have not received, it's been like a month, and they still haven't received any word about when they can go and get their vaccines. Uh, it's impossible for me to guess at what percentage. I do know that individual businesses have gotten in, especially the ones that, were so clearly frontline that there was no question at all. Mm. But I can't guess at that number. Uh, really, the most focused area has still been, well, first it was 75 and up, and now obviously there's a big focus on 70 to 74-year-olds. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to know. The, uh, the reason a lot of other states, which is to say 25 of the other states, went just straight with age is because this is such an enormous challenge to do uh, the lift. It's, it's almost a fool's errand. It's really too difficult. Uh, but having said that, the right thing to do is to get your most vulnerable people vaccinated. And to date, that's really where we've been. Some frontline workers, for sure, you know, definitely the first responders, the prison workers, uh, individuals that have really high exposure risk, they're getting vaccinated. All the healthcare workers that you can imagine. Uh, but then after that, age is a good approximation for risk. And Sure, there are some outliers. If we just crank it down age by age by age category, we're going to do ourselves just as much good. And and I say that because we're going through it aggressively. We're going to be deep into 1C, which is all essential worker categories, plus people with chronic disease. 
we're going to be deep into that uh, five weeks from now. So you'll see ramp up at the mass vaccination centers. You'll see ramp ups at the smaller facilities. You'll see more mobile opportunities. Definitely windward's going to keep going. All the neighbor islands are, are really cranking it out. So I think that it's an interesting thing to talk about, but the reality is it's a little less significant than you might guess because we're getting a good steady dose of vaccines mm, into, mm-hmm, into the state. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much, Got Lieutenant it. Governor. Uh, just a question here about the Johnson & Johnson shots. I know that they arrived here last week and you were talking about it being a, being a game changer. Uh, so what kind of impacts are you seeing? Seeing big impact. This, the, the Johnson & Johnson is going to enable us to actually carry out our hope to open the schools because it, it decreases that barrier of having educators that are un, uh, unvaccinated. So that's one big thing. It also is going to be a very convenient vaccine to get out into other hard-to-reach parts of the state because you don't have to keep it in deep freeze. It also opens up a whole heck of a lot of the Pfizer and Moderna because a lot of people are going to be able to make the smart choice of getting the Johnson Johnson. Now, when you compare the two shots, the you know the Pfizer and Moderna shot to the Johnson Johnson, mm-hmm. on the surface it looks like, well, heck, of course I'm going to take the Pfizer or Moderna. It's got 95% protection. But when you look a little closer, you realize you're comparing apples and oranges. The Johnson Johnson shot only takes one shot. You get 72% immunity, basically. That's what the American number was. The European number was 66%. The U.S. number was 72. And it prevented 85% of severe illness and all fatalities. So what do you want? I mean, that's really what you want. That's a magnificent vaccine as compared to all the others that we normally get, like the flu shot or the um, pneumonia shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. So. It works. It's one shot. Industries that have people that don't have a lot of extra time to go twice or want to have the side effects, which are mild, twice, they're going to be leaping at this thing. And so that's why it's a game changer. We're going to get 300,000 doses between now and the end of the Johnson & Johnson rollout. That's 300,000 people that will be fully vaccinated and at least protected from severe illness and very likely not carriers of much viral load at all, even in their upper airways even if they're immune. Mm. Mm. So so people don't get confused. You can carry some virus, but very minimally, uh, even if you're uh, protected from catching the disease. So all of these things mean that we get to the vaccination goals two months earlier, basically. And that means two months of uh, opening our state up, being able to go to school, people not so desperate to pay their rent. I mean, the kind of hope that we've needed. So when I said game changer, I kind of meant it. People have been feeling somewhat hopeless. We even actually discussed that based on surveys, and about 40% of our state was feeling a a quasi-sense of depression over being locked down, Mm -hmm. and that's Mm going to go away really fast. So when spring and summer come, it's going to be not just a metaphorical spring or summer. It's going to be a real spring and summer. And then I just caution everybody one time right now, please continue to wear masks when you're in gatherings. Please, 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 because... We don't want to have the unlucky spread or surge like we had last summer. That was yeah. really terrible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Lieutenant Governor, got a question about the vaccine, the J&J vaccine. They're saying uh, there's a rumor that it adversely affects reproduction in younger adults. Is there any truth to that? What kind of production? Uh, reproduction. Uh, it, uh, the question was, is it true that the J&J vaccine could adversely affect reproduction in younger adults? I haven't heard that anywhere, and I also don't think they've tested it necessarily uh, or very vibrantly in young adults. Mm-hmm. That sounds 
right now that at least sounds like a um, a uh, urban legend urban and legend thing. Vaccine, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, anti-vaccine thing. Um, I would caution young adults to not reproduce anyway. Right now, <laughs> it would be better to wait till you're a middle-aged adult. But uh, I don't want to do it to them through a vaccine. I think they should just do it with uh, condoms or whatever. <laughs> Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you for making that clear. Um, what, one final question about the uh, Johnson & Johnson shots before we move on. So there are these objections that some people have had to those uh, Johnson & Johnson shots because of their supposed, possibly the production having been linked to cells were taken from supposedly aborted fetuses. You know, there's been some controversy about Catholics, uh, you know, talking about whether they should uh, take that shot or not. Can you clarify, like, what does that mean? Like, like how did that work with the Johnson and Johnson shots. Do you have a sense of that? I do have some sense of it. Look, mm. a lot of research and a, actually a lot of cancer research is done on what are called pluripotent cells, which are cells that can uh, reproduce and be used uh, over and over again that grow in labs. We're not talking about uh, the secret of life here. We're talking about some cellular uh, use for research, for, for biomedical research. And I you know, I don't know many individuals that take that hard line of position against this. This is not an abortion question, definitely. This is a scientific research question. And usually what's happened is, and it's, it's hard, you know, when people have miscarriages or what have you, there is tissue. And you are allowed to, you know, voluntarily offer some tissue if you want to be a part of science. A lot of people do participate that way. Mm-hmm. But we're not going out of our way to ever end pregnancies to, to do scientific research. That's just not how it's done. Um, look, part of my family's Catholic. I'm Jewish. I'm married to a Mormon. I got all the faith covered here on this one. And I would just say, get vaccinated, protect your children. Thank all right. you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, as far as the vaccine goes, someone is asking us, is the vaccine going to be a one-time thing or do you think it's going to be an annual like a flu shot? I think we're going to get a booster at least in 2022. It seems likely to me that because there are variants, I mean, we've had 115 plus million global cases, plus another probably 200 million that we couldn't find uh, because they're rural, they couldn't get tested, whatever. Uh, there are going to be enough variants that I think we're going to have to watch this thing. And we're not going to, we're going to be super risk averse because we will have essentially stopped the globe and our economy for about 15 months. I don't think we can risk that again. I don't think there would be a big resurgence of COVID, but I think that it'll be the better part of Valor to get at least one booster shot and knock this thing on its butt. We'll know because we're doing the research. We'll also know in certain regions, it may be that it's regional where they need to do the booster more rigorously, but it's not going to be like this gigantic rollout. It'll be something just like the flu shot where you go to the pharmacy or your doctor's office and you get a, uh, you get a, a booster. I think it's one year worth and maybe two, but you never know. It could become part of the general primary care uh, experience where every year you go in for your shots, you try to avoid your doctor at all costs, you don't listen to your spouse, and then you go in anyway, and then you get your shot. That could be what happens. Mm, okay. Mm. Talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Uh, wanted to pivot now to talking about travel. And we have been seeing you calling for getting rid of the inner island travel restrictions. Why is that? And I'm wondering whether the governor agrees with that and the mayors agree with that. I can never tell who agrees or disagrees completely, but <laughs> I'll tell you that it's the right policy call. The, um, the numbers are, are the following, Okay. Why do you have, let's ask ourselves why you have a travel quarantine in, in between the counties. Well, you do it because 
if one county has a much higher rate, you have a risk of spreading. But when you have positivity rates this low, ask yourself what the real risk is. Now, statewide, we have 635 cases active out of 1.4 million. That's one out of every 2,400 people. That is not a number that is sufficiently worrisome to, to worry about inter-county travel and spread. If you then look at the Big Island numbers or the Kauai numbers or even the Oahu numbers, the Oahu number was 0.92% positivity the other day, that number tells you that it's only one out of 3,000 people. One out of 3,000 people could have COVID. So going to another county is so low as far as risk goes for travel, you're really burning through resources and and effort, and you're not getting anything for it. You're not decreasing spread in mm-hmm. any consequential way. The only caveat would be if there is a still an outbreak of a bad strain somewhere, which we're assessing for, and you don't want it to move. But as long as you still have a mask mandate in place, this is no longer a meaningful policy. And all it's really doing is keeping our friends and families from visiting one another and keeping our economic activity down. So it's no longer an efficient policy. And the, the very nature of having an emergency and emergency proclamation is to deal with it like an emergency and make adjustments on the fly. Of course, the governor is a, you know, is a wonkish engineer, and he doesn't like his lieutenant governor ER guy going, going off crazy with his <laughs> hair on fire, which is me. But I'm looking at the numbers. I think he's going to get there and understand this to be true. But the way we've governed is um, I push out ideas. They're not always going to be right. And he assesses them cautiously. And I think that probably is, there's a little bit of, um, you know, uh, magic to that approach. Uh, because, look, we've got the lowest rate in the country. We've got the lowest mortality numbers in the country. And now we're going to build our economy back. Uh, but this particular case, I know I'm right about this. Okay. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Um, you know, speaking to the economy part of things, earlier this week, Esme and I were talking about uh, why well, everybody's been talking about Love's Bakery closing. Uh, but is there anything that can be done to help prevent stuff like this from happening? Because it's so sad. And, and they were mentioning, you know, a lot of it is COVID-based. Yeah, it's it's tragic. There is. So we're hearing, and I'm going to let um, I'm going to let Senator Schatz announce the numbers, but we are hearing a massive package coming to the state of Hawaii. And maybe some businesses will even reopen and rethink their closing because there is going to be very significant resources across the boards. Hopefully, it'll be enough resource to prevent any tax increases because I don't support that given this crisis. Hopefully, there'll be extra resources for small businesses to make it through this last um, this last leg of the COVID crisis. It, but it hurts because you got to love Love's Bakery. I mean, how awesome is that? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. these are legacy items. Some of the drive-through, you know, the eateries that we've had, the diners, um, you know, the the, uh, the plate lunch places. I mean. It seems like not a big deal, but these are some of the fabric of Hawaii. So I hope that they can reboot in some cases and start again. Uh, look, the the underpinnings of our economy were strong before. They're going to be even stronger after we get um, people traveling here. We're now seeing a, a trend that older people are going to be willing to travel faster than we had expected. So hopefully these, these small mom-and-pop businesses decide to come back and maybe even they get some help from some of the larger companies maybe they uh, resurrect those those small mom and pops uh, fast so i'll be reaching out to some of our our big business guys asking them to help 
and then there will be a federal package and we're going to be open too. I, I would say that now because of the, you know, because of the Biden administration's move to accelerate vaccinations, mm-hmm. that we, we're going to probably get open two months sooner than we thought. So that's two months of the economy that didn't get squandered. Okay. Nice. That that sounds hopeful. Since we're talking about reopening, um, can we briefly talk about schools also? Mm-hmm. Now we've been talking about um, you know, some mixed messages coming out of the DOE. There was some talk that you know schools wouldn't reopen till the fall or summer, uh, and then uh, the thing with uh, Superintendent Christina Kishimoto saying maybe uh, March twenty second, at least the elementary schools could open to reopen uh, to full in person instruction, and then they've kind of pulled back on that messaging, saying no, actually. No, no, we won't, you know, the schools won't be ready for that. Um, what do you recommend? Do you feel that the schools here in Hawaii would be ready for reopening for in-person, full in-person instruction, at least on the elementary school level? Yes, I do. Mm. Uh, it's doable. It may not be doable across the board, obviously five days a week, but it's more than doable. The main thing we had to do was get uh, vaccination protection for all of the education community. And that means teachers and teacher's aides and people who work at at the school facilities, keep it going, the administrators, everyone needs to be kept safe because kids are going to, on some occasions, have COVID and some occasions spread it. And even though it has not been a major risk globally, there is some discussion about certain variants in kids that kind of are sticky Mm -hmm. and, and causing spread. So the most important thing was to be fair to those who work at our schools, everyone, and get them all vaccinated. And that's why, once again, the Johnson Johnson shot is kind of a big help because we're, you know, we're using that extra vaccine to accelerate the protection of what I'm told is about 45,000 total uh, people that work at the schools in support of our cakey. So, yeah, we can do it. Everyone has to realize that there's a little risk. Every industry that's gone back has gone through these exact same psychological growing pains. Can I get my office back open? Will there be spread? Is it safe? And time and again, we've seen that if you do the right stuff, if you wear masks, you socially distance, and now if you're vaccinated, you're fine. Kids need the social interactions. Developmentally, it's been very tough on, on children, say, 10 and under, really tough. So we can't afford much more of the isolation. Mm. Yeah, and definitely. tough on the parents. <laughs> I know. It's been crazy for the parents. <laughs> Lieutenant Governor, live music live performance, things like going to plays, things like going to concerts and stuff like that. Do you Can you prognosticate a little bit about when you think those things are going to be happening? Uh, it's a little more difficult, but yes, the summer is very likely for them. And as, as we get through the vaccination process, especially in May, when we start opening up to the broader community, the risk drops down super steeply. As to large gatherings and concerts, it's, uh, in my opinion, going to be the prerogative of each each state but that's one of the reasons i'm pushing hard for this vaccination passport concept so that it's not just about travel it's also so that when you have large venue events you can show that people flash at their their app that shows they've been vaccinated or tested so that if you have two or three thousand people in a you know a small amphitheater or even more at the blaze or whatever it's not a, a risk mm-hmm. and so i think it's doable you're probably still going to see a lot of people wearing masks to those events. We'd be smart to do that. I'm sure we're going to keep that as the policy. Uh, but we can do it. Okay. Uh, keep in mind right now, if you're going to, for instance, like I would have no reluctance of people opening up the uh, the movie theaters, the you know, the luxury movie theaters that have a lot of space between the seats. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a threat at all. 
I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to open. So if you're at a uh, concert or something, or let's say you're at a club and you're sitting at tables watching someone sing, if you can keep a little social distance, there's no problem. If you wear a mask, you're really good. So these are the things that I would recommend. I think, though, the performers ought to get vaccinated for sure beforehand because, you know, there is some truth to spread from singing and, and playing music and stuff. I mean, that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem come May. So, you know, but people I'm just are going to be vaccinated. is saying they're coming in in November. <laughs> so, so I, that, what, that's a kiss is on your list and yeah. that kind of stuff? <laughs> yes, those guys. <laughs> You know, Hall and Oates will be relevant again come November, I guess. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Thank LG. You,